Blog Talk Radio. The New African Broadcast speaks to the free-thinking movement that we see emerging in the minds of today's black youth of America. African youths must be re-educated to the scientific reasoning found in natural law if this movement is to reach its full potential. Inshallah, the African American will break free of non-scientific and tribal thinking paradigms that fail to counter immoral behavior as well as limit solid economic progress in African American communities. As-salamu alaykum. Take the chains off me, get this modern day slave offering, I'm just trying to be free, I love life, I'm just trying to be me, and I don't really care what society says, cause if I left it up to them, I'd probably be dead, but no, I feel the blood pumping through my veins, like, the people need to stop and get some things right, let's get back to the family, I don't like the news, but the news talk tragedy and politics. Red and blue, two sides with the gang of you. Make a vote for it, make a song that can maybe grab a quote from it. Don't let the revolution leaders ever run from it. My mind is see what comes from it. Find kings standing in the heat like the bus coming. And I don't need luck, I've been blessed from the most time. Trying to go more time. Cause the people say they want it, but the people never realize the rain till it's storming. What's up? Brother, you're taking the ghetto, you find a whole lot of crime. I can understand, I know what it means. Now it's one thing the educators and the politicians and the establishment got to remember. Now probably y'all. Ready for it, my focus up. My fist in the ass so they know it's us. Young black leaders, new Africans. They can't rap trash, it's a new packaging. And try to sell it to me. You cool loud in the streets with a college degree. I work for it. Ain't nobody got it from me. I can give you my reality, gon' sell you a dream. I solo to the dolo, could sell you a team. But I practice what I preach, I can sell a belief. Cream rise to the top, bull set up a knee. Before you jump out the block, first set of your feet. You run for it. If you want it, you should go for it. Break the reverse, only go for it. Break for it till you're so sure you walk on faith, blindfolded by the brochure. Uh, Stevie Wonder to my worst critic. Seemed like another leaf from when I first did it. Worked all night, no sleep, put a bread on the table and the shoes on my feet. I'm so the definition of the definition. Now time I got some recognition. And I told him to take the chains off me. And this modern day slave off me. So you got to have mind power to deal with salvation. And that's what we're dealing with. See, we can't go back to the biblical story of two loaves of bread. Or two little fishes, five loaves of bread. Two little fishes, yeah. You know what? You can't eat dust. You know what? You can't eat Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen 
wa ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lahu wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu this is your host muslim d shahid and i like to thank everyone for tuning in to another edition of a new african show and i also like to now give you the greetings of peace in the quran and arabic language Assalamu alaikum. I have here with me also co-hosting tonight on this show, Brother Yasin Shahid. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Shahid. Wa alaikum assalam. Alhamdulillah. And this show is again a continuation in part. It's a seven-part series, inshallah, from the inside looking out from Black Muslim to Muslim American. 1956 to present. We'd like to uh, uh, tell you that we are going to have again on the show Imam Muhammad Sadiq, a pioneer in the Islamic community here in America for over 60 years as a Muslim, a uh, longstanding Muslim, many experiences, been all over the country, helped establishing masjids, the teachings of El Islam to the community. Uh, particularly African-American communities, starting off in the Nation of Islam. He came in in 1956. He's going to give you uh, an inside look, a clear inside look into the Nation of Islam and the so-called Black Muslim Movement here in America. Not a name that was originally uh, accepted or developed by the Muslim community here, African-American Muslims, under the leadership of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. But it was a name that later was coined by uh, journalists and particularly historian Eric C. Lincoln from Duke University coined this, coined this name for the African-American Muslim, and it stuck and took hold. Uh, we're waiting uh, for Imam Sadiq to call into the program. And uh, while we wait on Brother Imam Sadiq, uh, I'd like to also... Uh, give my personal condolences for uh, the individuals who lost uh, family members or who were injured in the, what I consider uh, senseless shootings in San Bernardino, California uh, today. I don't know much about this. I heard about it on my way home. And uh, it seems like, again, another senseless killing or shootings at a university or some college or some public uh, facility. I think this was a public facility in this case. Not really sure how many people were killed or injured, but I do know there were quite a few. So um, this is a serious problem that we have in America here. And I don't want to, excuse me, talk about this problem tonight on the New African because I want to stay focused. But uh, at some point in time in the near future, we're going to discuss these type of uh, outrage killings that we see here in America, and not just America, but the whole world. But again, back to the show, we're going to be looking at some of the intrinsic uh, situations that occur within the nation of Islam. Imam Muhammad Sadiq has firsthand, firsthand experience, firsthand knowledge. He was actually there in the movement We about the nation of Islam. We hear people today 
I don't want to get ahead of myself talking about the nation of Islam and, and even said they established in their own is, is a nation of Islam. You have quite a few nation of Islams uh, scattered throughout America, uh, not just uh, under the leadership of, of Minister Farrakhan, but there are other small groups that consider themselves the, I guess, inheritor of the nation of Islam. And all these different groups uh, claim to be teaching uh, and following the teachings of uh, Elijah Muhammad, the leader of the Nation of Islam, and also the teachings of Professor Farah Muhammad, the actual founder of the Nation of Islam. Do you guys have anything to say on this subject uh, matter that I'm bringing up now? Uh, not, as, not, not at the moment. I do not have anything to say. Well, I just thought maybe you had some input on the different groups that uh, claim to be following the nation of Islam or either saying that maybe what the, the mainstream nation of Islam organization is doing is not exactly what uh, uh, it, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was teaching. I just thought maybe you might have some put on that. Well, um, you know, actually, I'm very excited having Brother Imam Muhammad Sadiq to come speak and tell us the inside the origins of the nation of Islam so we can get a true understanding uh, so we can actually know what was actually going on, what was done, and what needed to be done uh, as far as the movement. And uh, I hope the listeners will call in if they have any questions so we can get it all out. You know, I'm a man that likes to debate, and just like the imam said, he likes to debate too. And when we debate, we debate in a respectful, uh, positive manner, you know, as we taught in the Quran as Muslims. And if you got a question, you want to raise it, call in. You know, these are facts that's coming out for somebody that's been in it long in a long time, some of these guys that's 25, 30 years old, they still arguing about this and that. So we can get a clear understanding if you call in and we can discuss this matter. Uh, I would love, I would love the, the 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 questions to come out. I would love the questions to come out. Okay, well, uh, I can tell you myself, I. Uh joined the Nation of Islam in 1973. Uh, I was, that's when I actually joined the Nation of Islam in 1973. And um, a lot of the things, even in that, that is, is different what, what people profess to follow today. And, um, but even then, I, I didn't know the intricate dealings of the, the Nation of Islam because a couple of years later, uh, I realized Muhammad uh, passed and Imam Warfare D. Muhammad took over the nation of Islam and got it into a new direction. I think we have here on the line now, Brother Imam Sadiq. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Sadiq. Uh, can you? Assalamu alaikum, Brother Sadiq. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. I can hear you. Assalamu alaikum. Yeah, you may want to turn your volume up just a little bit more. 
can come in a little bit uh, louder, but I can hear okay, you. Give me a second. Give me one second. Let's see. Okay, I did. How's that? <laughs> that's that's better. That's better. We were just going over uh, some inform- uh, history, some historical information, history about Nation of Islam in the past, and also what we see today. As you brought up on our last show, that there are many organizations there, not a many, brother man, but there are a few out there that claim to be following the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, and that, that they're following the Nation of Islam teachings a lot closely that maybe even Minister Farrakhan is following Nation of Islam teachings. But again, as I said to our guests and related to our guests, you know, uh, here is a brother, uh, you yourself, who actually came in at the grassroots level and saw, saw the inner workings of the Nation of Islam. And we talked about much of that, brother Imam, up from about 19 to 50s, the early 50s to the 60s. And what I like to do now is, is pick up here and try to see can we get as much in tonight from about 1960 to maybe 1968, uh, probably the, uh, I guess, the assassination of uh, Robert Kennedy, as you will remember that. A lot of people don't know that. But what I like to do, brother. I miss what you said. From 19 what? 1960 to 1968, we want to try to see can we bring our audience up to speed in the era of the nation of Islam, also, how you 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 were interacting with the Nation of Islam, one of your roles as well as uh, how the African American community began to perceive the Nation of Islam, as well as I know uh, Brother Malcolm, uh, he's going to have a much bigger role as a national spokesman for the Nation of Islam, and then, of course there was uh, Dr. Martin Luther King with the civil rights movement. And then you even began to see the rise of the pan-African movement as well. Much of that was an offshoot, as we've talked about in the past, from the nation of Islam. But I'd like for you just now to kind of pick up around 1960 or whenever you, you know, I know you you came back from Canada in the last uh, show we had and you became more active. So kind of pick up there and Maybe we can start maybe around, I don't know, the, the, the March on Washington in 1963. Give me your perception of the March on Washington. What was going on uh, in terms of the African-American community? How was we responding to the King's efforts to, to galvanize people to go to Washington, as well as how was the community, the Nation of Islam community, also looking at, at that as well? So I'll just let you talk right Okay, first of all, again, with Allah's name, merciful benefactor, the merciful redeemer. Uh, dear uh, family, brothers and sisters, uh, to talk about uh, this March on Washington, first, I'd like to sort of give you a little background where I was. I was, at the time, I was living in Washington, D.C., and I was working in the medical school doing medical research on cardiovascular research and thinking that I might go to med school or was thinking about going to med school. And uh, I came from uh, a break and went up on campus. And uh, when I went up on campus, I saw, oh, maybe about 20, 30, no more than about 50 people standing, like something was going on. But you could tell it wasn't something like a fight or nothing like that because the crowd was very peaceful. So I said, let me walk over here and see what that's all about, you know. 
And sure enough, I looked, and there was Dr. King talking to a bunch of students, you know. And so uh, he went on. He was talking to me, you know, they were asking different questions, and he was answering. He was very cordial, very warm. And uh, then uh, this was anticipation. I'm not sure whether it was a day before, two days before, whatever it was, but it was right prior to the the, the March on Washington, okay? And so um, the day of the march, then I I and a friend of mine from Pittsburgh, we went to the march. But to be very honest with you, I want to be honest, and, and anybody who was there knows I'm telling the truth, I didn't hear a word that Dr. King said because the logistics of 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 how that was set up. If you take a look at that that uh, long uh, piece of land between the monument and the Capitol, that's a big distance. And they just didn't have adequate speakers and a adequate sound system, at least not available for the purpose of uh, African-Americans having a march on Washington. And so we sat there, and we, out of respect, and you could see Dr. King up on the way, you know, or somebody you could see up there on the on the uh, podium. And then I, uh, in, in my, uh, I had a part-time job that I worked in the evening at Waxy Maxis, which a friend of mine was the manager at Waxy Maxis. And so uh, that was the main record store, and all of the African American people, you know, I mean, as well as Caucasians, everyone went to went to Max. You know, Max had all of the records. And so what I did, I came up to to my part time job, and ironically, Max evidently had somebody down there, whatever, recording that, or somehow he had a re- recording of it, and he was playing it from his store out into. Uh, uh, on Seventh Avenue in Washington uh, D.C., which is right across from the Howard, which was the theater, the main theater, like somewhat like the Apollo was in in his day, you know. And so it was then that I first heard the uh, speech, you know, the, the I had a dream speech that Dr. King gave, and and it was the first time that I heard that. I didn't, even though I was there, and I mean I might have heard, you know, blurbs, but I did not hear a consistent flow of a speech, and so, but I was just happy to know that I was at least in the mix of the people when it took place, and I was also happy uh-huh. to know that I had the, had the opportunity to uh, have seen Dr. King a day or so before the march on Howard University campus, and so that's a general assessment of that, but now just to go after the particulars, particulars of the, the march, it was a, a a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful display of uh, concern, and I don't think anything can, you know, I, I I congratulate Minister Farrakhan and his excellent work that he has done, and that was also a wonderful display. But the King, the March on Washington stands alone in its uh, significance and what it means and what it meant to all of us at that time and what it was. Uh, attempting to uh, uh, attempting to achieve, and so with that, you know, I say Dr. King's March on Washington really set the tone for many many wonderful things. But I, I, I want to 
now take it to another level. And the next level is, you know, I, I think until we step up to the plate and and uh, and help develop a proper context for how to see what took place back in the 60s towards trying to get equality and justice and freedom for the African-American people. Until we step up and and put our own money up and and have our own writers and have our own people uh, uh, tell the story, we'll never have an accurate rendering of what took place. Because the way these people keep trying to tell the story about Dr. King, they're missing the real focus of what uh, was going on in the, in the 60s. They're trying to make Dr. King a hero. Well, you say he, he wasn't a hero? No, he was a hero. But they, he wasn't trying to make himself a hero. So the only way you can properly tell the story is that you would tell the story as Dr. King being a human being concerned for the circumstances that his people were suffering and living under. But then the, the problem that they have with that is when you tell the story from that perspective, then you have to ask the next question, which is logical. Was he alone with that kind of thinking? And the answer is no. So then when you say no, then you're going to have to mix into the the mix. You're going to have to tell about others who were also concerned for the circumstances that their people were living under. And, 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 and then by doing that, you will then share the concern with people like Donna Elijah Muhammad, people like uh, uh, Paul Robeson. You have to share the concern with uh, some of the black nationalist movements that were, were, had come up or had never gone anywhere, the, the, the old Garveyites and things like that, some of the remnants of the Moorish Americans. And so I'm saying, but they, they want to tell an entertaining story. They want to tell it. They want to make an entertaining movie. They want to have a a star worshiping session. But you can't get the facts of that period told properly if you have that intent in mind. You have to be willing to put up and 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 present to the public the the, the circumstances that that caused the rise of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad caused the rise of of Malcolm X, caused the rise of of uh of uh even Martin Muhammad didn't come to later, but but he was if we're gonna tell the story we have to bring all of these personalities and all these individuals into the mix. And they don't want okay, to do that. But- they they wanna focus on a, a Hollywood production. And that's where well, the follows it. Okay, email Sadiq since you brought this up brought those individual into the, individuals into the mix, that, that give me what you know or what you heard or your perspective or actual involvement of, number one, you know, how did Malcolm see the march on Washington? What was his comment? Uh, Elijah Muhammad, his perspective, and just the nation of Islam in general, you know, you know what was their influence, if there were influences leading up to the march, and in, in also uh how did they did did they see the march? Did they support it? 
they stand out from what just was the take from the Muslims in that 1962 63 era? Well, well, Malcolm, Malcolm saw the March on Washington as a sellout. Mm-hmm. He saw it as a chicken eating picnic where the white folks told us when to come to town, how long to stay, and get out before the sunset. That's, that, these are his own words in describing the March on Washington. He saw it, it was controlled by the powerful uh, white money and some of the unions, some of the socialists, and and many of the unions, and uh, they, we, the financing of it was was uh, something that was done by Caucasian people, and the Jew, he felt that the Jews had financed that, and he saw it uh, as a sellout in in a, in a sort of a theatrical display uh, you know for for African Americans to sort of appease them now that's how he saw it I'm not giving you that's how I saw it I mean he made some good points he made some good points and uh, and uh, many of those points had truth to them lots of truth to them because it was not it was controlled by the Caucasians. The Jewish people, I, I believe, made a, a big contribution to it. And, of course, uh, he who pays the piper calls the tune, you know. And so it was it was guided and directed by them. And that that's that's the, the weakness, in my opinion. That was the weakness in our, all of our opinions of the civil rights movement during the time. To be very honest with you, as I grew up and lived in that era, I mean, lived in it day by day, just like we're living and watching what's going on and, and experiencing and working in the in the struggle for uh, dignity in the in the community of Islam. We were doing the same thing then, and uh, I was I had a lot of love and respect for Dr. King, but but uh, did not agree with him. And that's when I say respect respect for him as a human. But no respect for his his for his strategy, because we as Muslims we we believe that was it was insane to take your people into the lions den and teach them how to let the lion eat you you know and this is how uh-huh. you, this, this. okay it seems like we've. Uh... Lost uh, Imam Sadiq here. I think his call dropped here. You know, hopefully, Imam Sadiq will call us back in a minute. But, uh, uh, Brother Yassin, you got any comments on that? Are you listening? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, no, no, brother. You can hear me? Okay, well, I, I, you know, I, I like Imam Sadiq. I was just a child during that era. And, uh, I do recall situations where uh, everything was pretty much segregated and uh, you can only, you know, go to certain parts of the city of Nashville at certain times uh, when, when, uh, when at, at during the certain times of the, uh, of the day, uh, you couldn't go there uh, during the nighttime. You could get, you might get, you know, beat up or chased across the track. Assalamualaikum brother. Ma'am, you back? 
I am back, and I apologize, but I don't have any control over these crazy uh, telephones that drop calls all day long. That's all right. You know? that, that, that's all they drop. Okay, so so was it a, a outstanding order from uh, Elijah Muhammad for the Muslims not to get involved in the civil rights march on Washington? No, no. Elijah Muhammad didn't have to tell us that. We we. We heard, we saw his position on Dr. King's. Uh, so you know we weren't going to take our sisters, the mother of our children, and ask them to get in line with us while we walked into our lines then, and we didn't them. Okay. Do you, you still hear me? Yeah, yeah I can hear you. I can hear and, you. And then we're not going to defend them, and then we're going to walk them into that, and then we're going to teach them. How to take a beating from a man that we don't know what he's going to do to them. No man in his right mind can actually stand by and watch his wife or his children or his mother or his elderly father get whipped. I don't give a damn what you're trying to achieve. I mean, it's just human nature that when you see someone strike your loved one or someone's precious and sacred to you, it's not human nature to teach them how to cover, and you try to cover instead of you rising to the defense of that person. So we just felt that the the, the strategy that Dr. King was advocating was was a strategy that was not going to work in America with the kind of mindset that, uh, that existed in America at that time. And the proof of that is when Dr. King took that march, took took his movement from down south, took it out to to. Uh, are you still there? Because I heard something. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm still. Okay. Yeah, I hear you. When he took it to when he took it to Skokie, I think they called it, uh, in uh, outside of Chicago. He thought them white folks down south were 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 a piece compared to them people them them, them white folks up in, in Chicago. I mean, those people were ready to eat him alive, okay? Eat him alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they they were gang bang killers, all right? And they had to get them out of there. And he said he'd never seen the hatred or the kind of uh, response that he got that he got when he went to Chicago. So I mean, I'm just saying that to say that that kind of strategy may have some credence with all men may have some kind of credence with all men but when you have women and children and you know and and and, and uh, elderly and you're going to walk them into the lines then knowing that the line is ready to pounce and by the same token here you are you're the, the defender of your family and you're going to stand there and and intentionally watch your wife or daughter or or, or, or baby son get whooped and beat or sit down by dogs and, and abused. It just was nothing that, that, that we as members of the Nation of Islam were willing to to involve ourselves in. So we had Okay, so, so that's what I'm Go ahead, yes, I'm sorry. sir. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. I want to. Uh, that's you did a a, a good, uh, I guess, uh, synopsis of the uh, Martin Luther King's movement, the nonviolent uh, movement here uh, across the nation, and ultimately, 
resulting in the uh, resulting in the march on Washington in 1963. But I want to take a look now at the Nation of Islam during that same period. You could begin to see the emergence of Muhammad speaks, as you told us in the last show that uh, Brother Malcolm developed a paper in the New York area, and it began to spread out to the uh, Chicago area. But could you tell us a little bit now about Malcolm's involvement, and, and particularly up to the time that uh, he was censored uh, by Elijah Muhammad, uh, and then his ultimate leading the Nation of Islam, Chicago. And I think you told me you might have came to Chicago in 65, maybe 66, not in '65. I wrote my letter. Okay. Okay. All right. But anyway, let's, okay. Well, let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk about that situation with Malcolm. Uh, he became a big spokesman. Very became very popular. Was on a lot of TV shows, and he was in a lot of debates. You can see some of this online. You can go on YouTube. You can see Malcolm in many different types of debates, and, and he was pretty articulate. And he held himself very well, considering the, the situation he was in. But ultimately, uh, his situation eventually leaving the nation. Then uh, him making a pilgrimage to Mecca. Could you kind of expound on that for a few minutes? Yeah, you know, one of the things that that is that you know you hear people say in the general public is that you know how Malcolm, how he, when Malcolm went to Mecca, his eyes came open. And he realized that white folks weren't devils and that all people could be Muslims and things like that. And uh, and so then he came back from Mecca uh, willing and, and ready ready to accept uh, everybody into Islam, which is proper now. There's nothing wrong with that. But by the same token, by the same token, that scenario doesn't fly, even though that's how Alex Daly puts it in his book. But it doesn't fly for those of us who are there because Malcolm saw the same thing uh, that he in Mecca that he saw in when he went over there the first time. And so I'm saying he he went over to make um, uh, make um, <coughs> preparation for the Honorable Elijah Muhammad years earlier. And he and whatever was over there, I think it was in the early early sixties uh, or late fifties. He went over there, and uh, he made uh, some type of preparation and investigatory trips, so that when the Honorable Elijah Muhammad went, that it would be uh, a simple process for him. And so, but my point is not to knock Malcolm or nothing like that. But I'm just simply saying Alex Haley is trying to say that okay, when Malcolm went over to Mecca. After he left the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, he left the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, the Nation of Islam. Then he went over to Mecca, and after he went over to Mecca, he came back and uh, was telling everybody that he his eyes had come open because now he sees the white people and all can be Muslims. Well, that may play in Hollywood, but that doesn't play with those of us who were in the Nation of Islam who knew that Malcolm saw the same thing the second time he went over that he saw the first time. So if that opens up his eyes on the second time, why why didn't they come open on the first time? So it, it, the, the point is he saw white folks involved with Islam, and he saw the, the, the different uh, races and the fact that Islam had no uh, race or, 
or breakdown of color or anything like that. So he saw that early on. So we have to scrap Alex Haley's Hollywood version of, of, of Malcolm's reason. But Malcolm, I think Malcolm suffered from, um, let me put it this way. He was up under a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And the pressure being that, number one, he was highly intelligent and very charismatic in his ability to speak and reach the people. And the people uh, loved him, and he was quick in his thinking, and he had studied hard and learned well, and he involved himself in debates at the Oxford level of college. These are some of the best. Of scholars all over Columbia, and he, he took on uh, some of the best minds in America, and and left them befuddled. Okay, so meanwhile, people uh, the the well-to-do among our people, especially in New York, it was uh, Percy Sutton who was a, a, a very successful lawyer and businessman, and ended up being one of the owners of the Apollo before he passed away, and uh, other uh, very well-placed African-Americans who walked in that circle with Percy Sutton, they all were, were uh, like Ozzie Davis, you know, and others who had heard Malcolm and had become uh, very much impressed by Malcolm's articulateness. And so them, as well as many others, uh, people... Uh, a step above and, and way beyond where we were as as a collective bunch of common people in the nation of Islam, many which who were former inmates in prison and others who were just common people who had, who had uh, lost their way in life and found their way in the nation of Islam. And it was mm-hmm. something new for him and challenging to have uh, successful, articulate, respectable uh, business people and, and citizens that are walking first class in America, uh, bowing at your feet and telling you that you're great, you're wonderful, you're good, and that Malcolm, that you, you're the one, you know, no disrespect to Elijah, but, you know, you're, you're the one that's carrying this thing. You're the one who's making this thing grow. You're the one that's making this thing successful. You're the one. It's your, it's your thing. If it wasn't for you, they wouldn't go nowhere, you know. And these are the kind of things that were being bombarded inside his head. And meanwhile, on the other side of the coin, on the other side of the coin, here he is. He's, he's trying to be a faithful, dedicated uh, servant of Allah, working under the Prophet Muhammad, and holding fast despite all of the accolades that are being bestowed upon him. Meanwhile, he's experiencing on the inside enmity and jealousy and, and uh, people taking shots at him and accusing him and and uh, uh, jealous of him. And so, I mean, it, it's like caught between uh, a rock and a hard place, you know. He's uh-huh. looking at, here I am, here I am, I'm trying to help you all, and here you all are whipping my behind and, and talking about me, and I'm all my work and suffering is to try and help you. And meanwhile, I have other alternatives. People are calling me and, and telling me this and telling me that. So anyhow, that, I'm just giving you sort of the psychological, contextual uh, uh, circumstances that hovered around Malcolm. 
And so, uh, meanwhile, when this situation came up, was made known to him, and whether he chose to express what had been leaked to him or sent to him, and I don't know when it was said, about the Honorable Elijah Muhammad having uh, children by his secretaries, uh, he uh, used that for a legitimate excuse, and I put legitimate within quotes, to exit from uh, his former disposition first. And then uh, when he was challenged on his unwise remarks, you know, about the death of the president, you know, and given um, given uh, the penalty of as was traditional when you when you spoke out, you could get ninety days out or whatever. When he had that, and the, all his enemies who thought he was down began just to pounce psychologically on him, verbally on him. And so, I mean, it's, it's, he was he was. You know, like the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Imam Muhammad said, and he put it in, in, a, in a very vivid picture for him. He said, in that time, we grew tiger teeth. We began to grow tiger teeth, meaning that we wanted to eat the flesh of our brother. Okay. And, and what did Malcolm? And what did Malcolm say? What did Malcolm say about the president? What president we, we talking about? What did he? What did Malcolm say? It's, it's a part of the record, and it's not that I, anything that I have firsthand special knowledge of, but I mean, I do know, and I was in circles among the laborers who were his secretary, who were his uh, associates, uh, who worked right along with him, who were his assistant ministers, and, and also I know the, the written report. And basically, uh, what has come to the news media is uh, that he had made that we had a rally scheduled that day at Manhattan Center downtown, which was a typical site where we could or would hold rallies for another purpose altogether. And when the word came that the president had been assassinated, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad turned and notified his secretary to notify all of the ministers to, uh, you know, shut down all the meetings and there wouldn't be no uh, comment until he made a comment and then he left it like that. And so the way I understand it is <clears throat> that uh, the, the, at the Manhattan Center, that meeting was, was, was shut down too. And according, I believe what Captain Joseph was saying, he, what he said is that Malcolm had told him, you know, when he, he came back and reported to Malcolm that, uh, you know, that, you know, basically everything had been shut down. Everyone has basically, you know, uh, uh, secured the place and turned away the people. And there's just one reporter who had just came, you know, said, there's some reporter here. He wants to ask you a question. He said, I'm very, I, I, I can send him home or whatever. And Malcolm said, let him come in or whatever. And so the reporter came in, and it's alleged that Malcolm made the statement that when he asked him about the death of uh, Kennedy, of, of President Kennedy, that he then made the statement a case of the chickens coming home to roost, meaning that 
if you know anything about the, the, the times in over in uh, Ghana and and uh, the different African emerging African nations, uh, uh, Kwame Nkrumah was uh, had had uh, was making a great impact in Africa, and uh, mm-hmm. he was ended up getting assassinated. If I remember the history right, and uh, and there were some other things that had gone on in Cuba and things like that, and it was it was a situation where it was rumored that uh, President Kennedy had something to do with many of these strange occurrences in in America, and so Malcolm was alluding to the fact that. He believed that Kennedy was responsible for much of the turmoil in the third world countries, and he was simply saying that came back to haunt him. Mm-hmm. So Elijah Muhammad was a very wise man, very intelligent man, and the moves that he made in setting Malcolm down, he saved. And I, and I heard Minister Farrakhan explain this, and he, and I think he did a tremendous, uh, good job on how he explained it. And so I, I I accept that 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 rationale that he used because he said that in in the honor of Elijah Muhammad setting Malcolm down, he said he achieved a number of things, and he said one of the things that he achieved was he took the heat off of Malcolm because if he wouldn't have set Malcolm down, then there would have been all of this anger and hostility in the spirit of the people. Uh, who loved uh, loved John Kennedy as both black and white, and it would have caused a outburst against him and the people of the nation of Islam, and it could have caused bloodshed. Where you make that kind of flippant remark about the death of a man who was loved and and uh, and honored and respected, such as Kennedy, they didn't, these people didn't know anything about any underhand dealings that he was accused of or may be guilty of. And so uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, by setting Malcolm down, he sort of uh, took the pressure. It's just like, you see, you know, like you get a sore and you, if, if it's infected, it swells all up with that pus and everything. And it, and it was like, it was like him uh, putting a, uh, a pin or something in there and allowing removing the infection, the pus out of it, taking the pressure off by setting Malcolm down. That's one thing that it did. And it also opened the door for him to make his statement that he wanted to make, and he did. And when he made his statement, if I remember right, and I'm going purely by memory, he said, the nation mourns the death of either its or our president. And that was it. Uh-huh. He didn't go into no long dissertation on it, you know, and uh, that again was a very wise move because the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was no fool. He was one of the greatest human beings that ever lived, and will always have my love and respect, you know. And at no time, no matter how we have grown and evolved and developed, and and see some. Uh, shortcomings, human frailties. That does not stop my love and respect for what he has done and, and all he has achieved. He doesn't, you don't have to walk on uh, clouds and levitate to, to hold respect 
for what, all the excellent work that he has done. So anyhow, with that, uh, that allowed us to get through that period of time. But there were other incidents that took place where, where Malcolm, you know, we had, we'd always said, in fact, we would close our meetings in the Nation of Islam that, you know, that a Muslim is a brother who loved peace and he, he never, he's never the aggressor. However, he, if he's attacked, he'll fight to the death. And that's how we, we uh, and he said, we don't carry no weapons, no guns, or nothing like that. And we don't start any problems or start any trouble, but if we're attacked, we fight and defend ourselves to death. So that's been our position. So anyhow, when uh, out in uh, California, when the when the temple was attacked by the police, and uh, uh, they shot up the temple and ended up killing uh, this boy, I think his name is Ronald Stokes. They ended up killing Brother Stokes, and uh, who I am also a fraternity brother of his, you know, by the way he was a Kappa Alpha Psi fraternity member, and. Uh, they killed him. Malcolm, you know, had, had always said, if you bother us, if you did, did this, we're not going to turn the other cheek, because that was what was Dr. King and the Christians were teaching in the church. And so he wanted the Honorable Elijah Muhammad to permit him to, uh, you know, you know, seek to get vengeance for, for that killing. But the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was a wise leader. He was no fool. And he realized we had no win there. We had no mm-hmm. win. We had no win there. We weren't going. Uh, he, he wasn't going to do nothing but but uh, appease an ego, and that would only be appeased for a short while. And when you start bringing the body bags out, then all of that, all of that uh, hyped hysteria is going to disappear. When you start having funerals for fathers of children and mother and widows. Who, who, who are now trying to figure out how they're going to take care of their families. So <clears throat> so when the Honorable Elijah Muhammad didn't go along with that, it, it was disappointing to Malcolm again because he felt he had put his word out and he was looking bad inside of what he had done. But again, you have to keep in mind, you're a follower. You're not a leader. And you have to be willing. See, when you, if you don't understand how this thing goes, you have to be willing for disappointment. You might have to be given all that you think that you should be give, given, but at the same time, if uh, somebody tells you or you're told that, hey, what you're doing is wrong, or what you're saying is not going to be vindicated or not going to be uh, challenged, well, then it's another ball game. It's another ball so game. You said, so you're saying, brother, ma'am, all of these different uh, situations, these, uh, changing the that obviously occurred very rapidly. This was the main reason why Malcolm, Malcolm uh, breaking the split with the Nation of Islam, the leadership it's, of Elijah Muhammad, and, and yeah. it set the tone. It's not it's not one thing. You can't just point to one thing. But well, it's I know, I know that's why it's, it's it's accumulation yeah. of things. You know, John F. Kennedy, the situation in California, there are some other things inside the Nation of Islam, the jealousy, the envy. All these things probably uh, led to ultimately Malcolm seeing things in a different light and a, a different tone and even the nation of Islam. I do know in Alex Haley's book that a couple of times Alex Haley reported that uh, Imam Muhammad uh, influenced Malcolm a lot to basically 
kind of, if he thought, and I don't know if it's right, you can correct me, if he wanted to do something on his own or his, follow his own insight. Now, I don't know whether or not that's direct, uh, uh, completely true or not, but maybe you can put a little light on that before we move on. Whether he wanted to, whether or not I missed it, just the, the last well, word. Well, basically, a lot of things Malcolm was supposedly telling, uh, he had some issues in his own mind and his own understanding of Islam, and he sought, uh, he uh, confided in uh, email with D. Muhammad during that time. That, 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 that yeah. according to Alex Haley's report, that email Muhammad was, he thought was the only Muslim, the best Muslim in the nation who had the clearest insight on the religion as well as how it plays out in the total society. But you know what's really interesting? Yes, he did in the honorable uh, email working Muhammad. And he did see Imam Worthy Muhammad as the most enlightened and and had more respect for him than anybody else. But in this one particular instance, it was Minister Farrakhan who he came to about the babies, okay? Mm -hmm. And when he came to him about it, he... Uh, told Minister Farrakhan because they were close and they would talk and I'm just giving it to you and Minister Farrakhan gave it to me and and uh, with that he uh, can you hold for one second I'm just I'm, I'm getting ready to transfer phones yes, because sir. this other phone is going to quit on you in two seconds so I'm going to hit one on the other phone okay can you hear me now yes I can hear you now I'm free. Okay. So what I'm saying is Are you there? It seems like his call dropped again. If you want to call in right now before we go to a station break, you can call us at six four six 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 eight eight three six eight. That's six 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 eight eight three six eight that's six four six 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 eight eight three six eight this will give us an opportunity to take a quick break in the show we're going to be back in about five minutes so we want to stay tuned inshallah brother email sadiq will be right back and we'll be able to have him on the show Yeah, this is Donald San Antonio. We gave her a bath and we started rubbing her down with um, with the XLSO, and she has had complete, complete moisture in her skin ever since. Excel Nutraceuticals All Natural Base SO has been scientifically developed for the management of eczema and psoriasis. For more information, go to xcel-n.com. My name is uh, Dr. Karen Holly, and I am the senior pastor at Lifeway Church, and I'm also a psychological therapist. My grandson, Christian Turner, and he uses SO, and he has eczema, and so it's just worked wonderfully for him. I've tried bump stop. I've tried all kind of stuff. <laughs> By my end, you would never believe, uh, people don't believe anymore that I used to have hair bumps except my friends. It cleared it up. No more dry patches, even the, the patches that would come around. Juceuticals, all natural products, call today at 1-800-977-3981. I actually brought it for my daughters. They, and my daughters really, my their hair has gotten so much thicker, it's gotten longer, and they feel, it's like they had a ball, like ball spots on the side. 
ahead. But um, ever since uh, we've been using it, they no more. The hair has actually grown. Excel Nutraceuticals All Natural Base HGS has been scientifically developed for the control of eczema of the scalp and hair regrowth. For more information, go to www.xcel-n.com. Yes, hi. My name is Carmen. About a year ago, I had ordered three of the jars of the Excel HGS, and I'm here to tell you, Oh, it really, really worked. It stopped my hair from thinning out. My hair is just beautiful, and I'm just so very well pleased. Nutraceuticals, all natural products, call today at 1-800-977-3981. The new African broadcast is sponsored by XL Nutraceuticals. XL Nutraceuticals produces and manufactures all natural products that help promote clear skin and healthy hair growth. Visit XL Nutraceuticals at www.xcel-n.com or call 1-800-977-3981. And now, back to the new African broadcast.
Assalamu alaikum. This is your host, Muslim D. Shaheed, and this is the new African broadcast from Inside and Out. We have with us today Imam Muhammad Sadiq, longtime Muslim American here in the wilderness of North America, if you want to say it like that, these United States. A little joking here with our brother Imam Sadiq. Uh, I like well, I guess to uh, continue with this discussion now on his perspective of the nation of Islam, uh, being a member of the nation of Islam and Muslim American. So, Brother Sadiq, can you hear me? Yes, I can. I definitely can hear you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Okay, if you have a question there, you can call in now, 646-668-8368, 646 646- Six six eight eight three six eight. I have with me also uh Yasin Malaikum. Uh brother uh Yasin, you've been quiet lately. You have any questions? Uh Salam. I'm not at the moment. I just you know eyes are wide open right now. You know, a lot of information, lots being said. Uh, this is a very informative show. Uh, so I'm taking everything in, and I'm learning a lot today. So, you know, I always like to keep my mouth shut and keep my ears open and just listen. <laughs> so, right. brother, keep 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 shooting it all out there. You know, uh, I will tell the our listeners call in if they have any questions, uh, so we can put it all out on the table. You know, as we was talking about earlier in the beginning of the show where we talked about this different, you know, so claimed to be the nation of Islam. And we learned that last show that Elijah Muhammad quoted that when I go to the grave, the nation of Islam coming down with me. So uh, let's put it all out on the table. I mean, this is, this is good. This is 2015. I believe we need to put it all out on the table. So, uh, email okay, we, keep, keep firing it off. <laughs> yeah, we, we're we going to put it out on the table. Brother Imam, you said you came back from Canada in 1965. So this is after the uh, the death of uh, President John F. Kennedy and also the uh, death of Malcolm uh, X or Malik Shabazz. So when you came back in 1965, where where did you go? Did you go back to Philadelphia, Pittsburgh? Where did uh, what what happened? Let me let me explain the whole 1965. Well, not all of it, but I explained some of it to you. But um, I had I was uh, in Washington D.C. in the 60s, basically 61, 2, 3, uh, 4, 5, you know. And uh, I was working at uh, Howard University. And like I said, I was working doing medical research. I worked, <clears throat> I worked in cardiovascular research. I worked in uh, histology research. I worked between uh, Howard University, uh, Georgetown University, and George Washington University, working on what they called the Jung microtome, which was a, a microtome. If you know, if you're familiar with histology, how it it cut. It, the purpose of it was from Germany, and it had um, we were able to use a microtome that we could cut undecalcified bone because basically where we were prior to the Jung microtome, 
we had to uh, treat the bone in assets, and it was the uh, thinking of the uh, researchers that we lose some of the quality of the information that we're trying to find when you use the assets, and so we we get a clear reading, but we don't we 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 have destroyed some of the components in the slide, and and they were seeking to find a way to do that without using assets, and this is where this Zhang microtone came, and I had to, since I was working in the Department of Histology with a Dr. Sampson, I went over to uh, Georgetown and George Washington University where the Zhang microtome was existing, and we worked with that. And uh, also I worked with Dr. J.B. Johnson and Dr. Anthopoulos, Dr. Young, and many, many, many prestigious doctors in the cardiovascular lab doing research and uh, we also worked in conjunction with uh, with Tuskegee University, as well as uh, had uh, had some work with the, uh, the the doctor over in uh, South Africa, who did the um, heart transplant. So I'm just giving you a little background. That's my 1960s, okay. And so when I, but meanwhile, the streets in America were hot, mm -hmm. and the the sensitivity, the the, the, the African American people had come alive like like they had been in a deep sleep, and they had come alive and they began to uh, were address each other as brother. Because see, before that, wasn't no brother, wasn't no black. We were Negro, and the, the big struggle with the NAACP was to try to get white folks to spell Negro with a capital letter instead of a little letter, you know, uh, because they show you how much disdain our so-called Caucasian brothers and sisters had for us in that time was they, they would they called us Negro and knew it was disrespectful and wouldn't even spell it with a capital letter in it it was identifying a proper noun, you know. And so they would not uh spell it with the capital N. So uh Whitney uh, Young with the Urban League and all like that and uh and many of the NAACP people they they did not like the Nation of Islam. They refused to use the word black. Uh, the idea of brother was not something. I mean, they they ran from that. And uh, it was sad because there was these were some good people, but they were just so uh, locked into a mindset that had been placed on them from the circumstances in America that, that waking them up was hard, okay? So I'm mm -hmm. saying that to say that, you know, a lot of things, a lot of our young people, they just take for granted. Hey, brother, hey, well, how you doing? That? No, I wasn't no, hey, brother. You called me either mister or so-and-so like that. And wasn't no my, black, you know, that the terminology black wasn't even heard of. And, and and while I'm on that subject, it should be it should be disappearing now because, I mean, it was, it was, it had a period of time to do a job. It did its job, and it should be moved, moved out of the way, and now we should go to something more dignified but I won't try and address that right now. But anyhow, that was the spirit of the 60s. And then you had the uh, with the Johnson's Great uh, Society program where monies were being, for the first time, made available for the rank-and-file people, which this is nothing that, that existed before. So many people were able to get college educations where they weren't able before because of certain monies that were available. Many of the uh, speakers, many of the talented uh, 
African Americans who uh, had something to say, like Sonia Sanchez, uh, Nikki Giovanni, uh, Donnell Lee, um, and and then uh, Im- Im- Imahu, uh, Im- let's see, this Imamu uh, from over there, Leroy Jones, they called him over in Newark, who was a poet. And the list goes on and on. And, and what many of these people would do, these brothers and sisters who were talented because of the resources, because black studies programs were then being uh, created on the campuses of the school. And as a result of that, then the black studies, they had to budget. And in some instances where their money within their budget did not cover what was necessary for them to, to do what they wanted to do, then they would uh, make a an appeal to the uh, student government of the university and get more money, and that's to bring in speakers. Speakers would come around the country. Minister Farrakhan was invited to many, many, many uh, uh, programs, and he would come. He did an excellent job, very commendable job, uh, going around the country for those invitations that were extended to him, or many were extended to me, and not because of anything great about me, but because I was... Uh, uh, the director of a new school, and that was a great phenomenon going on in the 60s. But to just sort of go back and then come forward again. So in the early 60s, um, you know, like I said, I had been involved in this long since 56, and I didn't see no need to write no letter, you know, because at the time, I like even while I was in Canada, I was attending the master. When I was in Washington, I was attending the master. When I was in Pittsburgh, I was attending the master. And uh, so I did not uh, see it. But then when I saw where, how, when I went up to Canada, and I, and I, I didn't go up there as a tourist. <laughs> I went there as, after I got married, and my wife and I, we went up there for honeymoon, and I ran out of money. So I ended up becoming a resident of Canada, working all the, all the little jobs that you can get. I unloaded boats, unloaded trains, uh, did construction work. I, I did uh, bus boy. I did everything. I ne- there wasn't a day there in Canada that I sat around. I, I worked, I paid my way, and um, but I saw how dedicated the uh, immigrant Muslims were to their causes. And I tried to uh, address their attention to the struggles going on in Detroit, the struggles going on in Chicago, the struggles going on in Cleveland, the struggles going on in, in Watts, and in and, 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 and various cities, but they couldn't see that. And that's what got me. And I told my wife, I said, we, I said, I'm gonna go ahead and write this letter. I said because trying to just associate with these people, that they don't have any sensitivity or any hear, ear for our problem. So I uh, uh, wrote the letter, and and it's a process. You have to write the letter to get an answer, and then you have to answer some more questions. And, it's about a process of three or four communications between you and what was called the laborers of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And uh, after writing the letter, then I was told that, you you know, because there's no temple in Canada, that I, that ordinarily they would tell you go out to the temple and get your ex. They said because there's no temple there that you just have to just accept your ex just as you are because there's no place to affiliate with. So I told my wife, I said, I looked on the map, I said, where's the closest place? And she said, Buffalo. And I had a choice between Buffalo and uh, and also Detroit. 
And Buffalo definitely was closer, so I said, I'm heading for Buffalo. So I went to Buffalo, and that's when I became very active, uh, actively involved after I presented my uh, uh, credentials to show that I had passed the laborers' inspection, as they called it, and, uh, and that I had been accepted as a member of the community. And so I began to soldier in Buffalo, New York. So that's just sort of how I got there, you know. But um, but then my involvement, you know, evolved along the line that uh, somehow, you know, I, I put on some productions and plays and things in Buffalo and opened up a little school and I was teaching school. And Lackawanna is also working at Cancer Research at Roswell Park Cancer Research Institute. So I worked there, you know, after I had, uh, you know, got the teaching job there, then I, um, the, somehow the laborers down in New York heard about the fact that I was doing a good job up there, so they sent Captain jo Captain Joseph, who was named Captain Shaw, and Maceo, who was uh, Malcolm's secretary, and sent them to Buffalo to find out who, who I was and what I was doing, and so uh, I met them, and so Maceo gave me a couple assignments, and I did the assignments, and he, and he was so pleased with the way I did it. He asked me would I be willing to come to, he came up in December the 24th, you know. And he asked me, he said, uh, he said, we need you in New York. I said, okay. I said, when do you need me? He said, tomorrow morning. So that night I was on, a, I had a truck and I was on my way to New York, you know. And what, and what year was that, 19 what? This, is, this was 67. 67, December the 24th, 1967. Uh, brother, email. I don't know if it was your phone. Uh, uh, you may have a little. I don't know some background noise. Maybe it's people talking or something. You may uh, want okay, to. Well, let me, uh, I don't let me know. find out if this. I can. I can. I can deal with the the, the background noise in my house. <laughs> but anyway, uh, since we on it. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. reality of life. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now go ahead what you were going to say. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, so you came back in 67, and I guess at that time, uh, hey. Mr. New York. I came to yeah. New York. I came I, I was in Buffalo in 65, came back, I came to New, they came up from, to Buffalo and bought me from, uh, asked me to come from Buffalo down to New York City. And, and there you start working with uh, Minister Farrakhan, right? And that's where you uh, started opening the schools and the educational facilities. I, I worked I, when I came there. Minister Farrakhan was the boss. You know, he was the boss. He was the, the minister, and uh, he was my mentor. And I, let me just put it this way: see, people, Mr. Farrakhan was a good brother. He is a good brother, I, and I not was. He is. But he, but I'm talking about that time. He was very, very good, very dedicated brother, and uh, he he was very uh, committed, and he did an excellent job. There are certain things that I have observed that I that 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 I will address in another form that are personal, not sensitive personal, but mm -hmm. but I don't want to address it in this form. But things that I think would have went and could have and should have gone better uh, uh, that would allow us to have a a more uh, healthy relationship. Now, 
though we don't have a bad relationship, but I think we could have a much better one. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're listening to Email Muhammad Sadiq from the inside looking out from Black Muslim to Muslim American. We're traveling over 50 years, maybe 60 years, from the early 50s up into the present day time. We're now around the 68th year, and we're listening to Imam Muhammad Sadiq, who's been in the Muslim community for over 60 years. And actually, according to uh, his revelations in the last uh, show, has been influenced by uh, since a young child between the ages of five or six years old. So, email Muhammad Sadiq. So, we see now you in 19, uh, you're in New York City, 1967, 1968. Uh, had you been to Chicago any time before then, or had you not yet started working oh, yeah. with the, the Muslim community? Could you talk a little bit about that between back oh, yeah, I and forth New York and Chicago? In fact, I have, I have a picture, and you, you might have seen it, and probably if I showed I could. Uh, find a small version of it of my wife and my baby daughter at Savior's Day. They have it in bookstores all over America. You know, I, it was called to my attention by one of Minister Farrakhan's daughters. She she called me and told me that uh, that my wife's picture was being sold around the country because it, it, it's such a beautiful picture of her holding my daughter at a Savior's Day, and she's all dressed up in her beautiful. Uh, Islamic attire of the of the MGT, and uh, so I'm saying that to say that that was back that 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 came from the Savior's Day in 19 it was either Savior's Day in 1965 or Savior's Day in 1966, one of the two. So anyhow, so that's in Chicago. So I definitely was in Chicago, uh, and and then with um, New York, I was back and forth to New York before they. You know, because after they came up the one time and met me, then they had me coming down to New York once or twice a month or even more than that. And then I got to meet the laborers down there, my my dear friend uh, James 52X and Brother Frederick and uh, Maceo, Haziz, Maceo Haziz. And, of course, Minister Farquhar and Captain Joseph, Sister Captain Clotel. So, we, you know, I, I got to meet all of the laborers. And also, Brother Secretary, I worked closely with him. And this was a brilliant man, you know. This is a man that we we need to write a book on, Maceo. Maceo <laughs> was talented uh, Muslims in our community, very brilliant. And uh, But he, 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 in fact, when he became a Muslim, he was playing piano at the, um, at the, um, one of the, very famous jazz club uh, in in uh, New York City, and he was playing with one of the famous jazz groups, you know. So he was he was an excellent piano player, and uh, he became ended up becoming Malcolm's secretary. But he was brilliant, and he he was one of the foremost scholars of Arabic. He began studying Arabic in the early early 60s, and maybe even before. He traveled back and forth to Mecca and to Egypt and places like that, and um, he was he, he was just one of the one of the finest people you wanted to meet. But somehow along the way, you know, he 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 got experimenting with his 
his insights into Arabic and astrology. And I don't even want to go to that. That'll take a whole another two shows to tell you about that. But I'll just leave that alone. But, <laughs> okay, we'll leave that alone. It doesn't fly. I mean, I'm trying to take the Quran and look at it through astrological uh, insights. It's, they're, they're doing it. But he, he took me to a meeting downtown New York. Uh, I mean, these, and these weren't no African-Americans. These were all uh, learned Caucasians sitting there. Uh, paying that big money to, to have this guy teach them about uh, astrology and, and the Quran, and that's where he and I sort of parted company. You know, I, I never said that to him, but I just be, got busy on him because um, that wasn't where my head was. I wasn't, I didn't know that much, but I knew that wasn't that that didn't compute. The Quran was a revelation from God. Astrology is an idea from human beings, and it's not a strong scientifically based idea. Astronomy is one thing, astrology is another. And of course, that's Exactly. Exactly. Let me, uh, now, um, what I like to, because we kind of missed that, you you, you kind of hit at it a little bit, alert to it early in the show about the, uh, the Pan-African movement, the Black Nationalist movement, uh, in New York City and around the country, and I know you say you was going back between at that time in Chicago, uh, and I know you're familiar of the Black Panther movement uh, that was around the nation. It was heavily uh, in New York City and Los Angeles as well, uh, and then also there were even groups in Chicago that claimed that they were a part of the Black Power movement struggle. The Blackstone Nation, I think you're familiar with them, El Rukans. Kind of give me an insight on, on how they kind of played in the late 60s uh, and, and how the nation Islam may or may not have interacted with them. Well, okay, first of all, let, let me just give a little more context to the, to the Panthers. They were more prone towards being physically in San Francisco and Oakland area. You know that's where their stronghold was, and then and they did have some affiliation in in L.A., but they were they were they had their base, and if because uh, we went to visit them, uh, they were we were invited to be there. Not we, Minister Farrakhan was invited, and he so graciously extended me uh, the right to go with him, and I did go as I as he extended me to go the right to go with him almost everywhere he went, you know. So we we went, and uh, when we got there, he uh, we went to this big high-rise building in uh, Oakland, and uh, Huey Newton at the time, who was the leader, uh, strange strange kind of brother, he was living in a penthouse on the top floor of that uh, building, and uh, of course before he came in, they searched Minister Farrakhan. Well, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, when they got back to him. Honorable Elijah Muhammad was very, very unpleased with that. You know, he, he he didn't he felt that if they're going to invite the ministers there, and we're the ones who initiated this idea of searching, and and certainly there should have been a degree of trust there for the minister. You don't just treat him like a rank and file a person when he's coming in as a representative of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. So anyhow, 
uh, that's what happened. We did have the invitation there. Minister Farquhar and them went up. In most cases, whenever he went, I went. But because of the <clears throat> type of security stuff and that, that they were, you know, they, they really were, were, were showing off, if you ask me, if you want to get my opinion of it. So I just uh, opted, you know, to bypass all that and stay right uh, in the car and wait for the minister to come back down. You know, so I, I, I don't know if Brother Akbar, Brother Larry, was he was with him or not. I forget whether he was on that trip. But so he might have went in. I didn't. And um, so they went in. They, he had a meeting with Huey Newton and them. But that's just one group. But see, the Panthers, if you really want to know who the Panthers are, and no disrespect to the Panthers, and if they'll be honest with themselves, they will real, they will accept what I'm saying because I'm not saying it to put them down or hurt them. But they were moved by and impressed by the Nation of Islam. But they, they in my opinion, they were the nation of Islam without its discipline, without its weapon-free zone. In other words, we were not allowed to have any kind of weapons whatsoever. They disagreed with that. And if you notice, we had on the back of the Muhammad Speaks, what the Muslims want, what the Muslims believe. On the back of the Panther paper, what the Panthers want, what the Panthers believe. So, you know, and then they... They, the kind of thing they they saw a way of working with black and white. We didn't accept that at, at that time, you know. <coughs> so they had Caucasians, they had a mixture of different people all in them, and they had the um, uh, um, food program. And again, Honorable Elijah Muhammad, he wouldn't let us take money from the government, and the Panthers. I never had any, uh, I have no facts, but I would be willing to lay my right hand down and say cut it off if I'm wrong, that they got their money from some uh, uh, white source or got the food from some white source. Because we didn't have that kind of money where we could have to feed people. And all these programs and, and all these programs are programs that, that the Caucasian people were down the, were down the line somewhere involved, you know, and so I'm saying that to say that the Panthers, they, they, they wanted to be able to still have their programs. They wanted to still be able to still, if they wanted to, smoke cigarettes, smoke the ganja. If they wanted to, they wanted. They took pictures in, in these big chairs uh, with, with guns in their hand everything. Well, this is not the way we went. And the consequences are they, they suffered a lot of, of, uh, of uh, invasions and intrusions as a result of Caucasians saying they had weapons, and they did have weapons. But see, those little pea shooters they had were nothing compared to what the police bought when they came and, and, and visited Havoc on them. So the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was the wise leader. You know, they had Huey Newton, Aldrich Cleaver, Kathleen Cleaver, and, uh, and, and and these were some good people. These are some very sincere people in, in uh Angela Davis had uh, a association or affiliation. I don't know if she ever was physically a Panther. But they had a lot of good people in them. But they were, they did not want to be disciplined. They did not want to follow the wide leadership of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Honorable Elijah Muhammad offered a very, very wise leadership.
and he was a very, very wise human being, and I believe he's guided by God. I really do. And so, would you um, go ahead? Would you believe that the that maybe is it possible that Newton and Cleaver them had previously visited temples before? In oh, they the, did. Uh, yep. that too. You, there's no way in the world you're gonna be. See, you weren't. There's no way you're gonna be in any of those black power movements, any of them, and not come to the temple or, the, or to the uh, we call it the temple. Then there's no way. All of them. Not only that, uh, Stokely Carmichael. All of them. Every one of them. They either came to it or or sat up under somebody who had come to it. But everything, the, the whole focus, the, the the hope for the for our people back then was the vision of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, the Nation of Islam. That's why, I mean, when that school opened, look, mm-hmm. when, when we closed, you know, I, I, I saw I heard, a, I saw a video, they got a video out there called Bait Something from uh, out on the West Coast. And one of the things they're talking about, uh, on the West Coast, they had the largest black school in the nation, there's no school. That's not the truth. And I, and I called and told Imam, uh, uh, I called Nadar and told him, let A.K., uh, who's my dear friend, a good brother, beautiful imam, but his facts are wrong on this one, where he says that the uh, the, uh, the L.A. had the largest school in the country. No, sir, he, he put out a figure of 1,000 1, 000 and can't show one bit of proof for it. I, put, I tell you, we had 1,500, and I can show you pictures and earbooks and show you class after class after class after class after class, even though... It may not add up to fifteen hundred because we didn't have to take all of the pictures. But they can't even show us that on what happened in LA. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm saying, so you, but the, the fact you say you had this black, you had this black school, almost two thousand students in New York City run, rent, run, and, and 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 it was see, it was ran and funded by black people. Black people. Oh, let, let me tell you. <laughs> let me say this. Um, we had worked in conjunction with a project with. Um, with City College, under the under the guidance of my uh, assistant uh, 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 director, who is a very brilliant, excellent human being, Dr. Razi Hassan, then known as Robert Blockham. Okay, Robert C29, I think it was Blockham. But anyhow, he was the finest and is the finest. He's still down in. Um, he teaches. He, he teaches in the Department of Chemistry down at Alabama A&M University. <clears throat> but he had uh, a zeal that you and a kind of support. You know, all he had to do is just just hint what you wanted, and he was off and running. And I mean, academically, I'm telling you. And I mean, he came up with fundraising projects. He came up with all kinds of beneficial programs for for the for our our school. And uh see and, and the one of the things that we you need to know, we we had more than one site. We were hundred sixteenth street was the main site. We had another site up in the Bronx on up in up in what we call Woodycrest at one time. Then we had another site in Long Island, out in Queens. And we had uh we had an uh another site uh um in Brooklyn in Brooklyn at 7C. So we had those sites within the city. Those four sites. 
and 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 brother, one of the brothers told me, said, "Yeah, the reason why he said you all didn't have that many, that building couldn't hold it. We had we had four sites. We had four sites. Mm-hmm. We had number seven had seven B C D, and then we we had uh, a temporary program out on the island. So so I'm saying then we had fifteen hundred people on the waiting list. We had that many trying to get in the school, and we just couldn't take them." We just couldn't take it. I see. Well, that sounds like a, a great achievement, a great accomplishment. Brother Imam, uh, I want you to think about this question. I don't know if you know anything about them or not. Were you ever familiar with the uh, Black Stone Nation in Chicago or New York? I think they sometimes call them the Pete Stone Nation. I, we, we heard of the Black Stone Nation. But the Black Stone or or Nation, Black Stone Rangers or something like that. Rangers. Rangers, that's right. I understood. But uh, we heard about them, and but they were they were a group of people who were looked like they were trying to come out from the criminal element and come into the into the uh, black black conscious uh, movement. And I think they were making every effort they could to evolve themselves. But they did not, in my opinion, have the leadership and the, the model in front of them like we had with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. But I think they were young brothers who had previously had uh, affiliation through a lot of negativity. And I think in some instances they were trying to reform and still might be trying to reform. And I, I would hope that they would because, uh, you know, I, I heard some positive things of what they were trying to do, which was different than what had historically been attached to their to their name and to their uh to what they were about. Cuz I've heard reports that they they was the, some of them dressed like Muslims or, or they had, you know, the, the women had on long dresses too and the brothers had on suits and stuff kind of like in the nation of Islam. That's that's a positive thing, you know. That's good for them to want to emulate something positive. And that, and that sort of testifies to what I'm saying that they were trying to turn the corner. You know, I don't think they were were were, were trying to uh, to uh, fool no one. I think they realized they had certain weaknesses or whatever it was, and they just they obviously didn't want to bring it in the nation. But they were trying to, from where they were, be uh, in in the direction of where we were going. But the one group that you probably want to ask about are the five percenters. Yeah, the five percenters. Yeah, they was kind of yeah. Now you, you right. know where the where the name five percenters came from. Well, I'm, I'm, I want you to tell our audience. <laughs> okay. Well, the the name of the five percenters comes from in our lessons. We have a a, a lesson that says there are the society in so many words. I, I I'm not gonna quote the lesson, but it, it, what it it alludes to is just that there are three groups of people. And it's, you got the eighty-five, the ten, and the five, and 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 they were they're trying to explain the society. They said eighty-five percent of the people are deaf, dumb, and blind. Don't know what's going on, other than what the ten percent who are bloodsuckers and taking advantage of the eighty-five percent and uh, sort of taking advantage of them and sucking their blood and, and exploiting them in every way. And then there's the five percent righteous 
who are trying to reach the 5%, reach the 85%, and let them know what the 10% are doing to them. And so they see themselves as a 5% nation righteous people, okay? So this is a lesson in, in, in the, that, that was given to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad by uh, Dr. Farad Muhammad, referred to in the nation as Master Farad Muhammad. And um, <clears throat> so the, it became, it was a, a, a brother called him Puddin, and uh, he became their leader, you know. He became their leader. In fact, in Harlem, I think it was up at 125th Street, 7th Avenue. It might have been Lennox Avenue. One, one of them, I, if I, I remember, I can still see the building. That they, he, they had right on the front of the building the, the big letters, Allah. Okay. And uh, and so, you know, it was a big contradiction to what they were supposed to be doing because they, they used the lessons that they got from the Nation of Islam to help uh, discipline and guide their <clears throat> their followers, because <clears throat> they, they basically consisted of people who were either once a part of the Nation of Islam or wanted to be a part and would be comfortable with staying on the fringes and with that five percent identity. But ironically, that's still around today. I understand there's some of them. Of all you get little sprinklings of them all over the country. And, uh, you know, I don't see them doing any harm. And they just, well, they're not guiding the people, right? And that's all. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying I don't see them as being violent or nothing like that. Okay, you'll listen to Imam Muhammad Sadiq. He's continuing his discussion on the evolution of how he saw through his own eyes the Nation of Islam from the early 50s to what has become the mainstream or large Muslim American community that was guided uh, by the late Imam Ward Muhammad into the evolution of communities, various communities now all over the nation and even outside the continental United States of America. We're going to take a short break here. If you have any questions, you can call now, 646-668-8368 when we come back from the break. So we want you all to just stay tuned, and we'll be right back in just a moment. Yeah, this is Donald from San Antonio. Gave her a bath, and we started rubbing her down with um, with the XLSO, and she has had complete, complete moisture in her skin ever since. Excel Nutraceuticals All-Natural Base SO has been scientifically developed for the management of eczema and psoriasis. For more information, go to xcel-n.com. My name is uh, Dr. Karen Holly, and I am the senior pastor at Lifeway Church, and I'm also a psychological therapist. My grandson, Christian Turner, and he uses SO, and he has eczema, and so it's just worked wonderfully for him. I've tried bump stop. I've tried all kind of stuff. <laughs> By my skin, you would never believe, uh, people don't believe anymore that I used to have hair bumps except my friends. It cleared it up. No more dry patches, even the, the patches that would come around. Nutraceuticals, all natural products, call today at 1-800-977-3981. The new African broadcast is sponsored by XL Nutraceuticals. XL Nutraceuticals produces and manufactures all natural products that help promote clear skin and healthy hair growth. 
Visit ExcelNutraceuticals at www.xcel-n.com or call 1-800-977-3981. And now, back to the new African broadcast. Welcome back to the show. This is the New African. I'm your host, Muslim D. Shahi. We have with a special guest, Imam Muhammad Sadiq, long-time standing Imam in the Nation of Islam, as well as the Muslim American Mission, now the Muslim American Association. Imam Muhammad Sadiq has over 60 years as being a Muslim, living as a Muslim here in North America. He's traveled extensively all over America teaching al-Islam, has been involved with many, many uh, historical figures in the community of Muslims here in America. Brother uh, uh, Imam Sadiq, assalamu alaikum, welcome back to the show. Alaikum assalam, Brother Shahid. Yes, sir. Uh, Imam Sadiq, let's pick up at around 1968. Let me ask you a question. How did the Vietnam War play into all of this? Well, I mean, the Vietnam War in the nation of Islam, we we didn't, uh, we basically had a, a disposition that we were not supportive of the Vietnam War at all. In fact, you know, it's just a miracle of Imam Warasuddin Muhammad giving us a different perspective, a new perspective, more mature perspective, because our perspective then at the time was we would not support none of America's wars. We weren't going to uh, support the flag. We weren't going to, none of that. None of that. We were going to be good citizens. We were going to be law-abiding citizens, but we were not going to be involved in any of the wars or the armies or nothing like that. And our position was 
that we would prefer if we were drafted or anything like that before we would go, we would accept the conscientious objector status or go to jail or whatever it took. But we were going to follow in the, in, the, in the model of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad as well as Imam Warthi Muhammad. But however, as you know, <coughs> Imam Warthi Muhammad woke us up and gave us a different perspective. And he shared with us that our responsibility, you know, we should have realized that, but I mean, but, you know, growing as we were growing from from anger and miseducation and neglect and lack of leadership and lack of understanding. So he made it crystal clear that if you're going to be a part of a country, context of that, you're going to ask for the rights to go along with every citizen. We have to take on the responsibility that every citizen takes on. And that's right. And that means if, if we're going to be here and and this country is threatened, then we have to be willing to fight in the war. We have to be willing to be soldiers or sailors or Marines or whatever we choose to be. But we have to be willing to fight and die for this country because we're citizens of this country. And the American flag is our flag as it is other people's flag, the white folks' flag. So all of this has changed because under the Nation of Islam, under Honorable Elijah Muhammad, that was not the disposition that we took. And um, these are some of the things that gave, I think, Minister Farrakhan pause and, uh, and the many of the former nations of the Islam people who were locked into these positions. And, and when Imam Wardi Muhammad removed all barriers for anybody being a part of our community, you no. Know, a color barrier or race barrier or anything like that. Anybody who wants to come to our meeting, they're welcome to come. Anyone who wants to join up with us, they're welcome to stay. And so, so you know, you, mom, no, it's great. I'm sorry. No, I'm listening. Just finish your thought. I I thought you were through. Finish your thought. Muhammad, he 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 gave us. He, he taught us and showed us we had this obligation to respect the flag, respect the constitution to fulfill all of our obligations as citizens in this country as we ask the country to fulfill its obligations to us as citizens. And that's only right. And this is what we have mm -hmm. also advocated at, at least once a year having a patriotism parade to demonstrate our our love for the country, our respect for the flag. Now keep in mind when he first did this, oh, he caught solid hell from the immigrants and things like that. And after 911 came, these same people who, who ran from these ideas and criticized him in the interface efforts and, and the things that he was doing, now all of them, they're trying to take and claim these things like it was their original idea. But if you go back right. and take a look, they ran from this. Well, now, since you brought up Imam Warhuddin uh, Muhammad, uh, which I consider one of the greatest uh, leaders in, in of the not just the African-American uh, community experience, but the freedom movement as well as one of the, the greatest minds, uh, and I would even say divinely guided mindset. Uh, he, his presence coming in, in in around 1970 more often. I think at this point, uh, I think maybe you had started, I don't know if you had been in, I think Imam Muhammad was in the Philadelphia areas. I'm, is that correct? Yeah, but, but first, you know, I'd like to, first of all, bear witness to your your um, description where you say you think that he was guided by divine. I agree with you, but I'm going to take it one step further. 
and I'm and I'm I say this, I have never heard no one else say this, but I keep saying it and I'm gonna say it until the day I die. To try and be different or anything like that. I'm saying because this is what I see. I see this. I see this as clear as I see this uh, the, a bright sunny day, and that is Imam Warasuddin Muhammad is like when Aisha was asked who what, who what about the prophet, she said I see. When I see the prophet, I see the Quran walking. That's what she said. Mm-hmm. I see Imam Wadis Abdeen Muhammad. I see Prophet Muhammad walking. Okay. Alhamdulillah. And, and, and I'm, and I'm wondering, see, this is not just a complimentary comment. And, and I'd like to, if you don't mind, take a moment or so on it, because I think before I start talking about him, I want you to understand how I see him. What I like for you, if what I like for you to do is maybe if you could, because that's that's kind of going to be a lot. Yeah, yeah, because this is Imam Muhammad is this, and the work he did over the thirty plus years is is it's a lot to talk about from the seventies up to this time. But I I like for you to give us a, a backdrop on what was actually in Chicago, how the direction of the nation was changing, some of the uh, in terms of where we were going, some of the things that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was telling his community what to expect in the future, uh, what directions we're going to take, and also the coming back of so-called the prodigal son, Imam Muhammad, and he's beginning to take a larger role uh, as being a national spokesman for the Nation of Islam in the early, uh, like, 69, 70, 71, 72. So I'd like for you to kind of, and even in, and in your workings with Imam Muhammad or also, you know, any uh, your situation going back and forth to Chicago, uh, working or at least going to visit the uh, Elijah Muhammad, the messenger, just kind of kind of tie that whole 1969, 70, 71, 72 kind of era before we go off tonight. We got about 10 minutes. So here's, see here's, what I, here's what I would like to do, if you, if you would permit me, and that is sort of give you sort of a backdrop in time and then and, and, and circumstances that where what was going on in the nation at the, around the time when he did come back, and then pick up on him. Period. In the new broadcast, because it's going to take, and 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 it's going to take a, a respectable amount of time to to move forward, especially with me putting out there that idea that I see him as Prophet Muhammad in the 20th and 21st century, and. Uh, and I know this does not weigh well with a lot of people, you know, and it doesn't bother me. But I'm just I'm a, I'm I'm entitled to share what's in my heart and what I see. Now, if I'm wrong, Allah will correct me. And and but I I see see people. Let, let me just sort of approach it from that angle, which will give us some idea of the time. If we plant a seed in the year uh, 50 B.C. or whatever you want to say. If it's an apple seed, if you plant that same seed from that same tree in the year 2015, you're going to get apples, same apples you got back in, in 50 B.C. If you get water, sunlight, and earth, you're going to get the same apples. Do you think Allah is going to leave? He, Allah don't leave you 
or me to struggle with what an apple tastes like back then. When he says apple, you you know, you, right away your mind is picks up on what he said, and you see what an apple is. But you don't. It's not because of the good description that someone gave you. It's because you tasted it in this season of time that you live in, and you're able to see what they saw based on the fact of what you tasted. So I'm saying Allah is not going to give us the answer to our problem and leave it back there in the year in the 7th century and all like that. No, it's not going to happen like that. It's not going to happen like that. Allah, Allah gave us, gave us a, a, the answer to the world's problems, and revelation came at that time. Though revelation came at that time, understanding didn't come at that time. Revelation came, but understanding didn't come. Now. Keep in mind, Allah pressed on the prophet. The prophet was the one up in the mountain. He didn't see no one. When he went up into the mountain, when he went up to the cave, when he got up there, he didn't see no one else up there quibbling with, struggling with, trying to understand what was going on in the world at that time. He was alone up there. And when the angel Jibril came, the angel Jibril didn't address a couple or three or four people. He didn't address Abu Bakr and Ali and Aisha and all that. No. He addressed Muhammad. Muhammad, the, the messenger of Allah. He wasn't called that, Ibn Abdullah. And so my point is, is this, and this is why I want to deal with this, and then I'll come back to the whole picture later. So do you think he's going to give revelation, a revelation that causes the one with the heart that is right? See, the revelation didn't come to his mind. It came to his heart. And that when it came to his heart, it knocked him almost off his feet, physically almost. And when he came down, he was shaken in the middle of, of, of the hot, sunny Arabia like he was sitting in, uh, in the cold of, of Alaska somewhere. So I'm saying that to say, well, wait a minute. If this happened to him, then you mean to tell me if, if just the recitation of the word from the angel Jibril had that kind of effect on the man with the heart that was being prepared for trillions of years to take that message. Now you think all of a sudden all he got to do is start talking about it and then all of a sudden Abu Bakr is going to understand? Ali is going to understand? Not many of these people didn't understand half of what he said. They heard him, and it was they 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 were able to process as much as they could process, but they didn't process this total message. They didn't come into the understanding. This is why we had so many problems all the way down to this time. That's why we having problems today, because many of the people over there across the pond, where they speak the language and where it was revealed. Don't understand the religion. They don't understand Islam. And if there's going to be an example or a model that where they will understand it, it's going to come from over here. At the time, there was a prophet 
Revelation came. But understanding did not come. Well, but, but go ahead. Yeah, yes, yeah. No, I don't mean because we only have about a, about three minutes left on the show, and I can see where you're going with this. And you know, some people would would may challenge you on this because uh, right. even in well, now what I'm saying, well, what I'm saying is, we have to to some degree. We know we had they had some understanding because look at all the the great uh, accomplishments that that once the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam passed. All the great accomplishment, accomplishment that the Muslims did. I mean, in the ninth, even up to the 16th, 17th century, with the Ottoman Empire, the influences uh, on the world. The Muslims brought the Europeans out of the Dark Ages, and that's how they had their Renaissance. But like you said, that that's a that type of discussion. It would it, it would take three or four shows just to talk about the Muslim influence and 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 its outcome on the world and have as we said today but yes i agree with you wholeheartedly that uh everything wasn't completely understood maybe not even a tent i don't know uh i'm not a prophet I'm, i can only look at the history and look at what has occurred and what has come to pass and, and but we do know that uh uh email muhammad word muhammad may allah be pleased with him and, and forgive him his his faults and admit him to the paradise that he did a great uh, service in the time he was here by not only bringing the African American out of his situation, but also influencing the uh, Muslim uh, world on that situation. Brother uh, Sadiq, you got 30 seconds. Sum this up so we can get out of here. We're going to well, pick look, this I, up Friday. Hello? Go ahead. Brother Shai. Yes. Yeah, I want yes. to ask a question before we end this uh, this show go ahead, tonight. Go right ahead. You got, um, you got a minute and 30 seconds. Well, I asked Brother Shahid about this not too long ago. Do, do you believe uh, Professor Farad Muhammad, was his intentions when he came, all his teachings, do you believe that he was trying to lead us into Islam? Even Elijah Muhammad, himself yes. as well. Did he really know, did he know, even though all the teachings that he did Imam uh, uh, Sadiq, what do you did you get that? Yes, just to give him a quick answer and if he wants to call me back on my private, you know, he can, you can give him my number but uh, okay. the point I'm saying is Honorable Elijah Muhammad was a sincere man Honorable Elijah Muhammad wasn't playing, that's the thing I didn't like about the Malcolm movie the Malcolm movie showed Honorable Elijah Muhammad like he was playing games. Honorable Elijah Muhammad was not a game player. He was just who we call honorable, and he was a sincere, dedicated person, and I'll die on that. And, and I and, agree with that, Brother E. And, e ma'am, I agree with that 100%. We're going to pick up on that in the next show. I want everybody to tune in from inside looking out, black Muslim, Muslim American. Stay tuned. We're going to finish this up on the next show. Have a nice evening. As-salamu alaykum. You have been listening to the New African Broadcast, a media program dedicated to the consciousness and the positive moral growth of the black youth of America. Thank you for giving us your attention and tune in to our next broadcast. Assalamu alaikum.